0: the echo chamber brought to you by the homes report and produced by the international broadcast specialist marketeers sponsored by the bullet group putting you in tomorrow's conversations today
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, a mere editor of the Holmes Report, and I'm joined in London today by Steve Earl and Hal um, Steve runs Zeno in Europe and has long been a close observer of media change. As he came to the agency world from a background in journalism, been working content creation and running agencies for 25 years since you was a child. Obviously, he's also written a, co- a couple of books on the risks and rewards of digital media. Uh, and its evolution. Uh, Howard is founder and CEO of Broadcast Specialists Marketers for DC, which recently launched Four DC as a dedicated podcast strategy business. So we thought it was about time you appeared front of Mike H, especially since today we're going to be doing a podcast about podcasts. So we're we're trying not to go too meta and eat ourselves on this one. But chaps, welcome to the echo chamber. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so, to start, Steve, I'll kick off with you. Why a podcast flavour of the month for comms and PR agencies and their clients at the moment? Yeah I, I'm not entirely
0: sure they are I mean in, in you know we we've had podcasts for a long time now we've had this kind of content become you know more and more popular more and more people downloading listening to you know you, you never know quite what someone's listening to when you see them on the train but I'll I'll bet in a lot of cases mm-hmm. it is podcasts particularly when you can't hear the tinny music coming out of the earphones um but I think of late we've seen um a jump in quality although it's very broad some mm. some podcasts are you know are, are still too I think self-serving um, and, you know, far um, far from the mark. Um, but I think it's also partly that um, people are, you know, in the age of fake news and very transient, um, snackable media, lots of um, content whizzing past our eyes. People want something that they can really get their heads around and spend more time thinking about. So, so it's a little like the... The rise of um, you know, long form written contents, people want to really think about um, what they're consuming in more depth and, and if, you know, most people like, like me, I'm sure you spend your whole time looking at a screen, looking at a little phone and you actually want to um, give your eyes a rest hmm. and use your ears instead.
1: So tell me a little bit more um, about that fake news context, how is, how is a podcast going to get around that as far as a brand or an organization is concerned?
0: Well, I think that um, you know, partly it's, it's the format. It's, it's more intimate. It's more authentic. People trust it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, any form of content, you know, whether it's it's uh, spoken word, written word, uh, images, um, uh, you know, moving images, they can all be manipulated in some way. That's always been the case. So, so anything can fundamentally be fake, but podcasts are typically trusted. Um, yeah, I said authentic uh, and it's a different kind of experience for the person consuming them mm. than just looking at small snippets of text-based news.
1: Um, H, what about you? What's your view on why podcasts are so popular at the moment? I mean, you're inundated with people asking for them. <laughs>
2: um, a number of reasons. One, I think it's a bit of fashion. It's a new shiny toy. Um, the Sydney people will say that slightly. Mm. Um, if, I, if I look at a lot of it, I think that whilst radio is very popular and its listening habits are holding for uh, holding true the the radio stats, I think what it demonstrates is an appetite for speech. Mm. I think if you look at what's happening in the UK, especially with um, Global Radio's music policy, a lot of commercial radio network, I think a lot of listeners are just getting a bit bored of the same music tracks hour after hour, um, and like speech. And, and yes, whilst radio stations do contribute to the podcast market, Mm. um, I think, as Steve said, the eyes are burning from video. Um, It's the commute, it's housework, it's portable. It's everything that... You know, it's radio on demand, and Mm. everything that radio is, was, just happens to be packaged under something called podcasting Mm. at the moment because it's on demand and available through your smartphone and, you know, it's accessible whenever you want it. Um, So I think listeners... Are still in love with radio, mm. but consuming it as Steve said in bite-sized chunks when they want, where they want, and through smartphone devices.
1: I mean, we're we're talking about bite size and snackable, but actually, I see a parallel with like the the rise of the the long read in journalism as yeah. well. That actually, yeah. it's it's snackable, but it, you can also go in depth in a podcast and have have quite a, uh, an in-depth discussion between a yeah. you know a host and a and a guest that can go can go quite deep that maybe it's 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 kind of beyond radio in the same way as a long read is sort of beyond a classic feature in a in a newspaper
2: yeah i mean just in terms of stats i mean consumption rates at the moment you'll see different reports in the uk ranging at 24 minutes Mm. which is you know that's amazing yeah but and but you need to consider if people are on a commute wherever you are in the uk or at home pottering around 24 minutes is not a long period of time Compared to two seconds of a 30 second video yeah. or scrolling through, through your smartphone. So 24 minutes, I, I totally understand because if your commute is a half an hour, 40 minutes, it, it's, it's an easy listen. Mm. Um, in the States, they're saying, I've seen some reports on Sunday saying consumption rate is now 50 minutes. What, a day? No per podcast. Per a podcast. Yeah. Wow, that's um,
1: that's astonishing, though, particularly if there's any kind of branded.
2: But if you say if you say it's it. astonishing, if I said to if you said to, you know I don't know if you listen, I listen to the radio in the morning. Yeah, mm-hmm. I listen to the radio on my drive-in. It's forty-five minutes.
1: So does it so, go in one ear and out the other? Is that what you're saying? I mean, how How do you how do you assess no, whether podcast
2: is slightly different because. It's, it's, a, it's a positive press-to-play download. Right, okay. In other words, it's not, it's not just background, not I've as made as well. a selective decision, I want to listen to that. Mm. And there's effort required, so the brain subconsciously has selected to listen. Yeah. But the point, the point I'm stressing is my drive-in is 45 minutes. Well, what else am I going to do? I'm not. I'm not going to listen to the radio for three minutes. Yeah, it's illegal to then watch a video. If I were to watch a video, video yeah, yeah, I'm not going to read a newspaper. So, you know, it's it's slightly passive, but I've and obviously because of technology in car through Bluetooth, podcast listening in car mm. is on the increase. Mm. So it doesn't surprise me. The bit that shocks people is because you're comparing it to the view of a video potentially. True. In other words. You know that video was two minutes, three minutes, thirty seconds. But we all know that after two seconds, we all. Oh. But if if you think about more the environment of which you're listening. Yeah. So if this, if I'm if I'm in London on a train or a bus, if I'm around the rest of the country in the car on my commute, if my commute is half hour plus, is it inconceivable I'd listen for twenty four minutes? Yeah, no.
0: No. Mm-hmm. I think another really interesting point about it is um, uh, podcast as a format um, and the kind of. editorial bent we're seeing around the you know, the titles and the concepts for podcast content is that you can go really, really niche with it as well. So in a way, you know, I I think back to, uh, you know, trade magazines in the 80s and 90s, and there were hundreds of them, and they were for some really obscure topics. And obviously, a lot of those aren't around today. But, um, you know, some podcasts are for very, very niche topics, uh, stuff that just simply couldn't be covered by a mainstream magazine. Um, because they're for people to get sweaty about in private, to mm. use a terrible turn of phrase. <laughs> so, so you know, what stuff do I download and listen to? I'll, I'll, you know, I look at, you know, I'm a cycling nut. I'll listen to some really obscure content about, you know, uh, the history of Italian componentry and stuff like that. And and okay, I enjoy it. But you know, it's from a brand perspective, um, you know, it's it's really interesting that, that firstly. That, that a format for that content exists and is you know, commercially viable, but also, um, you know, I, I'm listening because I'm genuinely interested. It, it might be I listen to it in the car, or it might be, you know, I do get a bit sweaty and I save it up for next Wednesday's train commute.
1: So tell me a little bit about the emotional um, connection between the listener and the podcast. We've talked about it a little bit about, I mentioned it's it's quite intimate experience, it can feel like you're having quite an authentic listen. It's unfiltered to a certain extent beyond being, you know, anything libelous, hopefully being edited out and it being, it's, not, it's not polished. It's not necessarily completely on message. I mean, tell me a bit about in terms of why somebody might want to listen to a bit of uh, content that's produced by a, a brand or a company or organisation as opposed to just... Know, reading something in the press about mm. what they're doing in that area. I can't be polished or on message now, can I? <laughs> <You're>... um, so, <laughs>
0: <laughs> do your best. So, well, well, I, th- I think the. Um... But you know, because of, because it is that one-to-one format, because mm. you're uh, putting headphones on or in uh, and you're choosing to sit down and yeah. making that conscious decision rather than it just kind of you know, coming across your ears or your, or your eyes, um, it, it's, it's different uh, mm. as a result. And So there is more of an intimate relationship. I know it's not real, but you feel, you feel that way well, with the person you're talking to. That's what you know. all
1: about, right? It's relationships with public. So it, podcasts is, in theory, a perfect
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you, you th- you know, the world of football. You know, Gary Neville, um, uh, whatever you may think of him when he's a pundit on screen, um, when you know a half time, his podcasts are really popular. So, so maybe he has got a, a voice for radio or a face for radio. Yeah, but, yeah. but, but, but uh, you know, um, people like that, um, I think, uh, are great at, um, at hosting podcasts because people you know trust their opinions and they really mm. want to hear from them. Um, and it's much more about the. You know, the individual than, than the brand, um, mm-hmm. really, in, in the way that, um, you know, leader columns or, uh, or, you know, critics who have a really strong following because they're great restaurant writers or whatever it might be, um, their content gets consumed because of who they are mm-hmm. and because of the way in which they approach, I you know, think of a Giles Coran, for example, the, 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 the yeah, way they approach <laughs> their editorial um, as opposed to the content itself. It's partly mm-hmm. about the person who's doing the speaking as brothers well as, as well as the words. And would
1: what, uh, what you add anything to that, H, in terms of what, what what's special about podcasts, in terms of other types of media consumption and content,
2: well, I think Steve you know has covered a lot of it. I think it's it's taking everything that is very successful about radio, mm. um, the the tr- you know all the research that's done by the ROB and others. There is a trust with radio and the radio presenter. You don't believe the presenter has has an agenda. Yeah. You believe the presenter is your friend mm. that you know and and the popularity at the moment are conversational style podcasts, yeah. you know like they're sitting around a microphone, individuals having a conversation chat. and and you know when you say why oh, why are they so popular it's it 's about the relevance to the audience mm. you know this this will be popular amongst some, not amongst others it 's about because the listener will choose to want to listen to it. You'd hope they're slightly engaged at the point they've decided to download Mm. to listen. And as long as we're doing a half-decent job at interesting, informative, entertaining, honest, then I think it works. So the key thing is, you know, just because we're not regulated by Ofcom Mm. or a global broadcaster trying to restrict what we do and do not say... The key thing is brands in the main, good brands at the moment are, aren't abusing that freedom of opportunity and providing interesting information mm-hmm. that people want to listen to.
1: So tell me what 4DC are doing, why have you set up as kind of a separate podcast strategy division to Marketeers, which you know, is hosting us today and does, it does the production side and the studio side brilliantly. Why the need for something before someone even gets in the studio in terms of counsel?
2: Uh, it was it was through uh, a fear of where the PR market was approach how was approaching podcasting mm. because its default was we want to produce and you know if, if you look if you look at how many companies will produce a TV series or a magazine it's you know you need a level of bravery and commitment to produce so oh, uh, the, the default for me yeah but the default for me is you know just because it's fashion you don't have to do it. So the reason for 4DC as a consultancy is set, marketeers is a, this the, the studios are a facility. Mm. You know, we're not producing this. You are the Homesport is the producer. We are an enabler okay. for the for the recording. But actually, if you if you're a brand and an organisation, it could be there are podcasts that already exist in the market that mm. are serving the need that you're trying to fulfil. Now, unless you are committed to want to compete with that or believe you have a space to compete with that. Mm. Part of it could be try and be involved in the existing incumbents as a guest, do in-reads, sponsorship, raps, whatever you need to do to be involved in what already exists. The default should not always be produce a podcast. It could be that the podcast landscape already is mature for the subject matter and area you want to be in. So your best strategy would be how do I work with those existing producers and mm. existing properties rather than produce? And Because sometimes we won't produce it. Even if the solution of part of the, of part of the, the strategy is you may want to produce, it, it could be more drama-based. Mm. It could be more entertainment-based and not straight speech, in which case that's not marketers. Right, okay. So our, our, you know, the way we operate, slightly independent, is to make sure that the documentation that comes out, mm. we can say to a client, in this instance, to reach that particular audience, dear client, you shouldn't be producing your own, unless you have a bravery and commitment to do this. Yeah. We recommend, in the first instance, once having audited the landscape of where your listeners currently listen, I would recommend you try and partner up with incumbents who already have. The audience base mm.
1: so uh, you talked a bit earlier uh, before we came in the studio about how the olden days of procter and gamble kind of bookending drama with their own ads i believe soap it was 1954
2: that's yeah. why I called soap operas you know if i was png you think about the portfolio of product they have available and the amount of money they currently spend in the ad world mm do i believe it's inconceivable that they should not create a series of drama audio based programming mm. that re- resonates with their audience groups whichever product suites they were yeah. that becomes available as and the podcasts become the regular channel yeah. for engagement with audience it's
1: really interesting but
2: someone like P&G has the pockets to be committed enough yeah. whether they're brave enough you know, you, you hear a lot from P&G about innovative marketing solutions and trying things different and we've got to get cut through. It, you know, I'm yet to see, you know, mm. completely innovative podcast strategy from them because at the moment the formulae for how to run a product is, yeah. is is quite machine-like.
1: And Steve, just speaking from a like the agency point of view, mm. your clients must be coming to you the whole time going, on a podcast. I mean, what's the, the – those points about both commitment and boldness and bravery. What's your kind of... Adv- do you just say, yep, yeah, we'll take that brief? Or is is there a bit more give and take on whether that's the right solution for that client? Yeah,
0: there's definitely a lot of give and, give and take. It tends to be a fairly lengthy discussion, actually. I mean, so, so our, our Three Monkey Xeno team in the, in the UK has been doing some research into um, the spoken word uh, mm. and, and the impact that it has on reputation, uh, emerging technologies, platforms, just to really get to grips with this okay. a bit more. So we've looked at things like... Um, Voice search and how that that may or may not evolve. Obviously, you know many many factors there, but we're trying to really just understand a little bit more about uh, voice and it, and 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 it really being an underutilized area of communication, for, particularly for B two B clients. So. So we'll always look at it in the you know a fairly expansive way, but I th- so I think you know, a couple of things there. One, um, we're trying to advise clients and you know work with Howard and his team, of course, to, to, to really understand get the technical expertise we need to uh, around this and learn from from that experience as well, so that we're making the right recommendations on what works and what doesn't. But um, but also just thinking about the client and its own communications challenges often as mm-hmm. well. And one of the things that I think is is, is interesting with any era of um, of comms, but particularly with podcasts, is that you can get you know I'll call them the, the sort of fringe benefits. So um, um, you're doing a podcast series, you're working with executives and guests and maybe influencers that you're, you're pulling in to, um, uh, to help produce and, and deliver that content and you end up having conversations with execs and finding out things that you wouldn't have found out through other means. So then we have the, con- the content, it's approved, we produce it into a podcast and we can use it across all manner of other comms as well. It might be mm-hmm. long-form content for LinkedIn or Medium, it might be something that becomes a campaign in its own right. So often um, it's a great... Um, uh, fringe benefit yeah. technique for mining other content.
1: So uh, I'm quite interested. I mean, I'm, I presume there's a, there's a little bit of ego sometimes involved on the part of the CEO execs who think, yeah, I, I, I want a podcast, I can do a podcast. You don't want everyone thinking they can just spraff on about anything for half an hour, right? I mean, how what advice do you give like to both of you? When would you say that's maybe not the right solution? And kind of steer them away from something which obviously has lots of benefits for a brand if it's done properly but can also be i mean what's what's the risk factors in doing a podcast badly
0: well like an of comes, comms you looked after you know yeah. it's as simple as that or it falls flat very quickly i mean I, I, so i think firstly i think things have moved on a little in the Blogging in particular, but also um, social media has made execs um, less prone to vanity publishing and and just talking to themselves uh, across various channels. So so so. I think they they, they tend to take a more considered view of it these days. Also, to Howard's earlier point about um, you need to make sure that you're able to commit to this and and really be a a publisher brand in in what you deliver, Um, I think if you talk to most execs and show them the time commitment required to actually do this, um, they might be dissuaded from doing it just for their own ego. So, so you know, it, you've got to do it right or, mm. or not at all. So I think those are, those are big factors in it um, overall. But, of course, I mean, it's like, like you know, any agency I'm sure will have, will have clients over the years where it may not be the best spokesperson that you know, wants to get into the media, but it's the person with the biggest ego and mm. you have to work through that and, and, and manage that. But um, I think most people in the communications teams are, are wise to that and they want to really understand
2: that this will work before they let their execs loose on it.
1: Mm. What would you say add
2: to that? Yeah, I mean, the risk of doing a bad one is you make a lot of noise at the outset to launch something, and you've completely mismanaged the expectations of your stakeholders. Right. Um, or whether they want if,
1: to listen to it in the first place, presumably.
2: Yeah, but I mean, you know, if Steve's the, the word that's being mentioned a lot here is publisher. You are, you are. If you decide to produce, mm. you are a publisher. I've, I'm yet to see someone make a big noise to launch a magazine and do one. Okay. If you do one and it okay. fails, the market talks about the magazine that failed. Yeah. So the commitment piece is, is key. Um, and I think, unfortunately, people are underestimating... Because, it's, because at the moment, it's not seen as high barriers to entry to mm. produce, but it's different levels, people are testing, and it's very dangerous. Test If you test the wrong way, the, the fallout can be very negative because you damage the longer term opportunity because stakeholders internally in Brango, it didn't work. Mm. Well, it, it's not that the format doesn't work of a, of a channel marketing of podcasting, it's just that the approach that was taken mm. wasn't invested in correctly in audit and, my, and, and insight at the outset.
1: So how do you test and measure whether a podcast has been a success?
2: The depends who you talk to, um, to Steve's point, depends if it's a vanity piece, we'll say downloads. If, if a metric is downloads of a podcast, well, how much do you want to put in digital spend behind it? Because mm. that on its own can drive your downloads, whether anyone listens to it or not. From a 4DC perspective, we do objective, quant, data analysis after three episodes normally, Mm, which is we take a sample of 100 plus of the listeners against a pre-agreed set of questions with our client to establish brand sentiment, likelihood of recommendation, and, and some objective analysis that says it has or hasn't worked. Actually nine times out of 10, not all positive, we tend to find that we learn. Yeah that actually, yeah, certain elements are very successful, but certain elements we can do better. But then the other element, depending on how you're approaching podcasting, is that if you're doing in-reads, you know, The Economist, I know, is a, a big advertiser through in-reads in, in the podcast world. They offer a text link through the in-read to, for a free subscription trial. Right, okay. Now, they have just renewed, not through us, but, you know, I, I'm aware that they've committed to podcast advertising for another 12, 18 months.
1: It's working, because, because
2: the targeting of the in-read ads mm. <clears throat> against the audience group is very highly targeted. It's a very effective in-read ad mm. where there is an absolute metric call to action of text this number for free subscription mm-hmm. and they see spikes. Okay. So it, it depends on what route, depends on where your expectation is. But the way you measure is against the expectation at the outset some brands are doing this because they want brand sentiment or noise or awareness so for a lot of brands you know if you look at the US market which is about 5 years ahead the brands that are big into podcasting were the disrupt what we would define as disruptor mm. brands where they didn't necessarily have the big pound to go TV DOH and other media that requires a huge investment But in a slightly less crowded market in podcasting, they recognise that actually, put my money in that, I get a greater share of noise. I think, if I'm not mistaken, Harry's, the razor company in the US, are one of the biggest advertising brands around podcasting Mm. for very obvious reasons. Gillette are not. Yeah. So when you've got a slightly embryonic market and you've got a particular audience base of a certain profile of age group and style smartphone users then actually if you're the right brand this is the right environment mm. and if you approach it in the right way you get very effective results that are very easy to measure my 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 concern for a lot in the pr industry is the measurement is a, is not a consideration at mm. the outset it's a we want to produce this mm. without really thinking through what they're going to do to ensure the measurement provides an end result that everyone can hang their hat on.
1: Steve, you're nodding mm. uh, viciously there. Fierce, <laughs> or fierce nodding. Um, y- bad, bad. It sounds like you'd agree <laughs> with that, that sometimes it's kind of you, you haven't started. Clients don't always start with the end in mind, right? How do, how do you like put some checks and balances in place to ensure that they've got the right objectives from doing that particular bit of channel marketing and that it drives mm. value for the brand? And then you will Proving to them afterwards that it has in fact achieved those objectives.
0: Mm. Yeah, well, absolutely. That focus on on measurement and really looking long and hard and and, and digging deep into how you can measure it. So mm. it's you know, it's not just about downloads unless it's profanity. You know, you're really trying to understand why people care about it. Cause, you know, if, if someone's chosen to download some content and they set aside some personal time to to listen to it. Um, you know, normally it's because they actually care and they want mm. to do it rather than they feel they have to. So, so you know, how can you tap into that and measure the value or the potential value of that? So you need to, to you know, focus on it properly, um, not just sort of rush into it. I think that, that's that's important. But then the other, th- the other thing that I think is going to be an emerging area um, is um, not, not co-curated or created content, but, um, you know, because you can ask people questions... Um, once they've downloaded a few podcasts because you can get some feedback from them because they really care or presumably care um, you can work with them to potentially shape the content you put into future podcasts so rather than just you know setting up 12 months worth of podcast content in, mm. in, in advance you can really shape it by understanding the audience reaction understanding what they want mm. from from more content that you provide um, and <laughs> and that means that they're even more <coughs> likely to be engaged with it and listen more in, in the future and then so it's not just measurement in terms of you know this is something we're doing doing as a new initiative and we've got to justify the investment and show why it's paid back for the brand, but we can, in an iterative sense, learn from this and we can develop ever better content. So it becomes mm. you know, a 360-degree part of our um, you know, insights, strategy, creative, content development, production and measurement process rather than just measurement so that you know someone gives it a thumbs up.
1: So you're doing that whole testing, learning, tweaking, making it better, you know, achieving more
0: uh, yeah, absolutely few, absolutely yeah, yeah. and 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 you know I think as a you know, looking at um, you know, other forms of media content you know if, if you're if you're in print you know you, what is the engagement really you know I, I remember working in newspapers years ago letters to the editor mm. half of them were made up you know let's be honest so so, so what real feedback do you actually get <laughs> I've never fundamentally done that any No, of course no, the of course but but you know how, how, how legitimate is that is that feedback and you look at well you know the feedback on on social you know how can you Really, you know, pick the bones out of out of that. If if people care about podcasts, they'll care, I'm sure, about the feedback they're giving, um, and that will allow you to create something that is more engaging. It becomes more of a dialogue. Mm. funny enough, given that it's a you know it's a one way form of content, Um, in essence, you know, um, people should give give feedback. And I, I know a lot of people who listen to podcasts and then will talk to each other about the content and form views on it. And it's a little bit like you know. When I was a child, and there were only three TV channels, and you'd watch Blackadder, <laughs> and then natural about it the next morning because you found it funny. You don't yeah. get that in in the era of Netflix in quite the same way, but you do with podcasts.
1: Mm. Yeah, apart from Line of Duty, of course, there is still appointment who, who television. Has a
2: podcast. <laughs> if, I know they do, and that's and an interesting part. Is the BBC if you if you watch Line of Duty at the very end of the episode, yeah. prompt the viewer yeah. to download the podcast. All the conspiracy
1: theories yeah. on the podcast. Yeah. Um, the BBC are doing a bit of podcasting, aren't they? Well, they've got their BBC Sounds thing. Sounds app. Um, Sounds app. Best is use that, of hundred
2: million pounds worth of licence fee. Is that working?
1: Money. Did we need that Post iPlayer? I'm not sure we did. But they've got some interesting content on it. But you know, that's a, that's a, that's a big investment they've made into
2: huge investment. Uh,
1: let's like put chuck a load of cash at. Wrapping stuff as a podcast.
2: Well, the idea I think with the app is it's everything in one place, mm. and and so it, you know you used to have music, and now it's and podcasts. Yeah. It you know it's it it's they've you know who are they trying to compete with? Question mark yeah. is it is it a Spotify? <laughs> is well, is yeah. it an Amazon? You know, but it's you know it's it's a fascinating one. There is you know the, something that's quite unreported at the moment. Because there was a lot of hoo-ha around Google, not be, you know they they changed they would change the way that podcasts were being done, so they weren't visible to Google. Right. They didn't want Google to be able to monetize people searching for and a and various other things. But it's interesting there is a podcast that's been produced by BBC Studios with Spotify called Beyond the Clash.
1: Right. What's that
2: about? Which kind of went under the radar in the media world. But it's fascinating because Spotify, who I would argue are one of probably the most aggressive companies globally in mm. podcasting in general, and you know I wouldn't back against them, should we say, um, have done a deal where they've used BBC back catalogue content. Right. Which opens up a much wider conversation yeah. because the BBC's asset is a national treasure is millions of hours' worth of mm. interviews and content, Yeah, have made a podcast with spotify
1: okay that's interesting i mean desert island discs was kind of one of the original podcasts if you package it up so like that they've now
2: got desert island dish haven't they their foodie podcast yes there you go how uh, creative with that
1: <laughs> very very creative so tell me about tell me about the importance of really well thought through distribution strategy of podcasts it's not all about going to the studio recording 40 minutes of absolutely cracking Content, uh, which is very on brand, or whichever the the organisation behind it is, it can't just stop there. You've got to think about how you reach your audience, like with any any bit of channel marketing. What's the what's the um, what's you know best practice in that area?
0: Well, I think Howard's best place to talk about the the, the technical side of it, but. Um... You know, I was having a conversation with someone the other day, and, and uh, um, they made the point that if you can't distribute a podcast, all that content properly, it's a bit like having a great corporate magazine or a mm. you know a brand-funded magazine that you print uh, and then you just hand it out in reception, and <laughs> you don't actually get it into anyone's hands. It's ridiculous, yeah. and and so you know that distribution obviously needs to go hand in hand with production and the editorial content and the way you measure the value of it.
1: So how do we do this well, H? What's the best like strategy for good distribution to get it into the you know, maximum number of target ears?
2: The, the first call is to make sure you have buy-in from your business.
1: Right.
2: So the most organisations or brands that are producing them, <clears throat> it's recommended that before you even do that, you understand what other channel marketing routes there are within the organisation that mm. can support... The promotion of, so through DM, CRM, the, if there's a portal, any other mechanisms. But then in terms of the upload and where you sit, you want maximum visibility. Mm. So, yeah, you can go on to different aggregators that exist in the market. But in essence, you want to be visible, visible to iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, Podbean, da, 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 mm. you know, the list goes on. But then think about the audiogram. Um, think about the thumbnail and visibility because, again, we spoke about pre this, you know, speech-based search for podcasts in the US is almost 50% now.
1: Is it really? Yep.
2: Um, it's growing in the UK, not quite nearly 50%, but at the point at which I say, Alexa, podcast on bedtime stories, hmm. well, if I'm cow, just a supposition, if I was cow and gate,
1: yeah.
2: you know, I could distribute this through my media um Bit of my media buy across digital. So it could be that I cross-promote. I've done a series around bedtime stories, targeting mums with newborn babies, da da da. da, da. Mm. So my traditional digital inventory, can you add a link to download? Mm. As well as making sure it's accessible through all formats or devices. But then recognise speech-based search is increasing. So what are you doing to make sure the podcast is visible to speech-based search? Yeah. Because there's no reason why you can't sit alongside BBC's you know bedtime stories you yeah. know yeah, it's but it's this is what we said at the start this is the production is almost the semantics mm. you know it's not field of dreams it's not if you build it they will come mm. yeah, and this that's, the, and that's my real fear is that the expectation is we'll produce a podcast because we want to produce a podcast yeah but then people aren't really thinking that actually, if I said to you, and, and year, I remember years and years ago going to someone spoke to me about sponsorship and that the amount the actual in the sponsorship the multiple of that value you then have mm. to pay in amplification of.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's not
2: quite the same with podcasting, yeah. but absolutely the commitment needs to be, if you're committing to produce, you absolutely have to commit to the distribution through aggregators, channels, the brand zone, other marketing platforms, digital sports spend, to give the podcast every opportunity for maximum impact.
1: And so who's doing it well, Stephen? Which brands are doing what makes what makes podcast stand out and give us a couple of examples of ones that you think are, d- are doing well? It's got
0: to be something that is human Tougher fundamentally. Have a headline, right? So um, you know, I, I think about some of the things I sort of you know, listen to, and uh, I know are, are um, you know widely listened to. So you know, eat, sleep, work, repeat is is you know is about basically about. There's a horrible word. Work style. So, so you know, work life um, and um, uh, what life is like in a in a job. What uh, offices are like to work in. What technologies like to work with. So, you know, that is a great, um, fairly cerebral podcast for any B two B tech brand, mm. business services company. Uh, design consultant. I mean, there's so many people that that could um, have an interest in the content that goes into that podcast, but it's not branded content in the same in the same right. way. It's independent. And then you look at branded content. So, okay, disclaimer: this is a Zeno and Three Monkey Zeno client, but um, okay. Gensler, you know, it's a big architecture firm. Um, it does some really interesting um, podcasts that look at um, office design, the built environment, how mm. people work, how offices are changing, that kind of stuff. And it's not, it, you know, it's credible. It's independent. It, it could be produced by a media company mm. rather than an architecture company because it looks at human issues and real has real life conversations in it. So, so th- those are kind of um, best <coughs> practice. Um, yeah, again, Shopify is quite an, quite an interesting one. Is there's, um, uh, there's um, Sephora, you know, the cosmetics company that that, that um, has um, one around. What's that called? It's all around um, the lip stories. One. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so, so that's you know, of of course, um, uh, you know, that is a company that is producing lipstick, I believe. But yeah. you know, it's quite a cute take on it, and it, you know that's part of the deal you know that it's going to be yeah. uh, you know um to an extent self serving but it's doing it from a human storytelling perspective
1: yeah absolutely and it's yeah, it's uh, it's influential female leaders who happen to be joined together by the medium of the lipstick and yeah exactly Sephora. it's quite clever and going back to the the uh, Gensler the architect, i mean pre podcasts like we said earlier that's that's very niche right so your only route to talking about what you're doing in any depth before a podcast is trade press your own publication i guess advertorial uh conference you know stage time Mm -hmm. this gives you this gives this gives very niche um industries i guess the the possibility to reach audiences that they they would have found harder in the
0: yeah and i mean that's that's the case of actually something that is that it's, it's interesting, not just for people commissioning, you know, design projects and moving offices and building offices and and, and, and uh, you know managing those budgets, but it's also interesting for uh, anyone working in a company today or managing teams and thinking about do we do fully open plan, do we do hot desking? You know, those those kind of issues mm. get discussed, but in a human way. So, so it actually has quite a broad appeal. But the interesting thing is that, that you know it's quite versatile, so it it, it can do sort of spin off content that is very niche yeah. and looks at one aspect of design or ergonomics or something in real detail for, you know, again, to use the sweaty word, for people that really care about that stuff and they live and breathe yeah. it. So that, um, yeah, you know, it, it that, that flexibility is a really important thing. And I think podcasts are kind of, you know, developing as a as a platform f- uh, with that kind of elasticity in mm. ways that other media don't really allow.
1: So, um, H, what's, I mean, if, if you were to give our listeners one takeaway on best practice and one big do, one big don't on podcasting, what would you say?
2: Don't produce as your default. Go to. Okay. Um, there's a lot of work to be done in auditing and understanding the market before you consider mm. production. The do is to recognise the power and the impact of the spoken word in an on-demand environment and embrace it.
1: Okay. And Steve, what about you? I,
0: I think there's just there's no one size fits all it's you it, it shouldn't just uh, you know make a black blanket recommendation or as a brand thing it's work for someone else it'll work for us so so yeah to build on that there's there's no one size fits all but i think yeah the, the other thing is that the spoken word you know we've always known it's, it's been hugely powerful in reputation storytelling for mm. you know millennia but uh, um technology is now um just uh, forcing us to think about it in different ways um, and i think we're going to see a lot more focus on spoken word and reputation and innovation in the future
1: okay cool uh good insights and great advice thank you both and we got through our podcast about podcasting so thank you both Stephen Uh, Howard uh. for joining us in the echo chamber thank you
0: you've been listening to the echo chamber (laughs) brought to you by the homes reports and produced by marketeers Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.